morning. So good to see all of you on this rainy Sunday morning. Thank you for being here. If you're a first-time guest, I want to introduce myself. I'm Ricky Powell. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here, and we welcome you, and we hope that today you'll be encouraged by your time with us, and at the end of our service, I'll make my way to the back at our next step area, and I would just love to meet you and put a name with a face, and as you heard Pam say, if we can answer any questions for you or help you take your next step, we want to be available to you, but uh, thank you for being here. And I do hope also, whether you're a guest or a church member and you're not connected to one of our small groups we call life groups, that you'll let us help connect you so you can experience real Christian community. And, and we want to help you by just asking you to go to fcbc.life and click on that Let's Connect card. Give us your information. We'll contact you and help you find a group that fits your age stage, your schedule. And I think it'll be one of the best things that you do to get involved in our church and uh, also to just grow as a follower of Jesus. If you never tried it, try it out, and uh, we would be happy to help you. And as you can see today, we are starting this new series called DNA, the core of the local church. And if you're a first-time guest, what a great day to be here, because you're going to get a behind-the-scenes glimpse at who we are as a church and why we do what we do, including today. This will be a five-week series, so today I just want to give you an overview of who we are as a church by talking about our mission as a church. In your folder today, I've provided for you a little note-taking sheet. You may want to find that and follow along. I'll also put the, the scriptures I'll reference today on the screen so that it'll make it easier for you. But there's just nothing like having it in your hands. So I hope you'll follow along with me today. You know, I mentioned last Sunday in the message about when my dad and my mom started uh, our family construction company. It's a general contracting company in Valdosta, Georgia, and how that I did not feel led to go into that business. Instead, God had a different plan for my life, as you can see. And if you've ever seen me swing a hammer, you will say, I get that. I see why God had a different plan for your life. But what I didn't tell you last week is that I have a brother who is four years younger than I am. His name is Greg. Greg also grew up working with my dad uh, as a kid and as a teenager. And he eventually began working uh, at the company and uh, worked his way up, became the vice president, and now actually owns Quillian Powell Construction Company and runs it. And now my dad's retired, just, just uh, enjoying life and letting my brother handle all that stress of running the company. And you know, from the very first day that my dad started his company, I remember him writing out and, and trying to refine the mission statement of the company. And still to this day, it's the same mission. It says, Quillian Powell Construction Company exists to provide the highest quality construction at the most competitive price and to implement the principles of strong leadership, ethical business practices, and uncompromising standards for safety and quality. Now, that sounds like a shameless plug for the company, but I want to be clear. I'm not on staff there, and I have no uh, vested interest in the company. But I love the fact that so many businesses... Business leaders and employees understand why their business exists. Why are we in business? What is our purpose? What are we trying to accomplish? And I think that's not only important for a business to understand, I think the church needs to understand that. And so often the business world gets why they exist, and that mission dictates what they do. And it dictates what they don't do. It dictates their behavior and their attitudes. But often when you ask the average Christian, why does the church exist? And get more specifically, why does this local church exist? 
many cannot give the answer. They, they think, well, it's for a lot of good things that we do, which is true, or we do today what we did last Sunday. Well, that's probably true as well. But, but beyond that, what is the overarching mission of the church? Now, the good news for the church is we don't have to invent this. We don't have to manipulate or manufacture the mission of the church. Remember, Jesus is the head of the body of Christ, the church. He's the head. He's the one that founded the church, which simply means a gathered body of believers for a purpose. And so we don't have to manufacture our mission. We need to discover it from what Jesus taught us and then align everything that we do to that mission. And so today I want to help you understand what our mission is. For some of you, this will be a refresher course. You already know it. If I asked you to stand up and say, tell us the mission of our church, you'd be able to spout out that one-sentence mission statement. For others of you, it's a refresher course because you kind of know parts of it, but sometimes in the hustle and bustle of life, it's easy to forget the big picture. And then maybe this is all brand new to you. But today I want to talk to you about the mission of the church. And I want to take you in answering the question, why do we exist? to the words of Jesus, the founder of the church. Particularly, there are two passages of Scripture that I want us to see. The first passage is in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And then later, we'll end up in Matthew's gospel, the last chapter, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. But first, we're going to start out with uh, Matthew 22. Now, maybe you've noticed on our logo, there's, there's a little slogan that we sometimes use. And it's just two words, reach higher. And you say, what does that even mean, you know, reach higher? Well, to us, to reach higher means that we want to help the people in our community and help you to reach higher in your life to the best that God has for you. We believe in helping the people of this community discover the best life God has for them. Jesus is the one who said, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. And so our church wants to help you reach higher. And if you talk to people in our community, even if they're not Christians or church-going people, they will tell you that some of their, their needs are that they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers to life's problems. They're looking for a way to strengthen their relationships, whether it be their marriages or their parenting or their friendships. They're looking for meaning and they're looking for purpose. There are many people in our community who say, I'm looking for some help. Because I'm struggling and I don't know where to turn. It could be a physical need. It could be an addiction. It could be a spiritual or a financial need. But there are people in our community who are just looking for the life that is better than it is today. And we think as a church, one of the things that makes us unique is that we care about helping people reach higher for all that God has for them. Whether you believe like we believe or not, no matter where you are, in life, or even in your spiritual journey, we want to come alongside you and help you reach higher. And there are people in our community who do not believe like we believe, but they will tell you that church helps people in this community. And so that's why we're here is to help people reach higher, but that's not really our mission. There, there's a statement that we believe that is founded in the principles that we hear from Jesus, beginning with Matthew chapter 22. In fact, in your little insert, I've given you the logo of our church, that little square with three upward moving lines. In just a moment, I'll let you write in some words on each one of those lines. First of all, read Matthew 22, verse 37. And he, this is Jesus, 
And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus had just been asked a question by a man. What is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? Now, the, the person who's asking Jesus this question isn't really looking for the answer. This person is not sincere in their search for truth. The person was trying to trip Jesus up into a controversial answer so that he could then say, see, this teacher, Jesus, he doesn't know what he's talking about. More than likely, this person who asked Jesus assumed he would quote one of the Ten Commandments or one of the 613 laws of the Old Testament. But what Jesus does instead is he quotes from Scripture. Jesus is not giving his opinion. He's not speculating. He's not saying, well, I think it could be this or that. To answer the question, what is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? If you had to just give us the greatest, what would you say? Jesus just quotes Scripture. He is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And if you were a Jew in the first century hearing Jesus give this answer, you would have immediately recognized Jesus is quoting Scripture because Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5 and following, along with some other passages, were some of the most famous and well-known passages of Israel because a pious Jew would offer this prayer twice a day. It was a prayer called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. And it would simply begin, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Shema means hear, means to listen, means to pay attention. So a good, pious Jew would pray twice a day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And so immediately Jesus says, I'll tell you what the greatest commandment is. It is that you love God supremely. That God must be first in your life. He must be first in your affections. He must be first in your devotion. You must love him with every fiber of your being. And he's not giving us this regimented division of humanity, heart, mind, soul, strength. He's simply saying, with everything you have, love the Lord your God. And he even tells us in verse 38, this is the great and first commandment. He said, this is the greatest commandment of all. It's that first in priority in your life that you love the Lord your God with everything. So maybe if you're using our little note sheet and you see our logo with those three upward lines, on that first top line, you'd write, love God. If you ever wonder, what is the mission of this church? What is it that we as a local body of believers have been called by Jesus to do? It begins right here. Our mission is to love God. To love Him supremely. To put Him first in all of our lives. When I was a kid, I lived in Corsicana, Texas for a little over a year, maybe two years. I don't recall exactly how long. I was in the fourth grade, and my dad was supervising a construction job there. And I would often get snacks when I came home from school. And sometimes my mother would give me those Cracker Jacks boxes. Remember Cracker Jacks? And they would have a prize in them. And one particular prize I remember getting 
was a flat puzzle that had movable pieces in a frame. And you had to move the puzzle pieces together. And I discovered if you put one piece in the right place, all the other pieces fell into place. And you know what I think Jesus is saying? The, the missing piece of the puzzle for people in this world is they're not putting God first. But if you put God first, if you love God more than anyone else, every other aspect of your life is going to start falling into place. Listen, you can't love others like you ought to until you first love God supremely. I've discovered in my marriage, I love Donna best when I love God the most. I love my children best when I love God the most. I love you the best when I love God the most. Life isn't about me being first. Life's not about me loving myself and being self-centered. Love is about recognizing that God and God alone deserves to be first in my life. And this is not God being egotistical and demanding that we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Remember who God is. We just sang it a moment ago. God is our creator. We're made in his image, and we're made to have a relationship with him. But even though God created us for himself, we have rebelled against God, and we have sinned, and we have wanted to be God of our own lives, and we've messed up our lives. And look around. Because of our sin, we've messed up God's good world. And rather than hating us and rejecting us, God loves his wayward, rebellious children so much that he sent his own son into the world to live a perfect life where none of us have ever done that and to die a sacrificial death taking our punishment so that God could be righteous and holy and punish sin like sin must be punished but also be loving and forgiving and gracious and merciful. So God sent Jesus to be our substitute and Jesus died on a cross but he rose from the dead on the third day to let us know all that he taught us about God the Father is true. And he proved it through his own resurrection. And dear friend, whenever the word of God says, love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. When Jesus says, this is the first and greatest commandment, we come to realize this is true. God deserves my love. He deserves my loyalty because he first loved me. And he demonstrated it through Jesus on the cross. Now, one of the things that we've done here at Fort Caroline is we've tried to create a Sunday morning worship environment for you to both experience the love of God and to express your love for God. First, you need to experience the love of God through your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is why I always try to work it in. I don't care if I am talking about changing the brakes on your 1983 Ford. I'm going to work in John 3.16 somewhere in there. For God so loved the world. God loves you that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because I want people to experience the love of God through Jesus Christ. But not only do we experience his love, once we become followers of Jesus, now we have a desire to express our love to God who first loved us. And we worship God. That's what we really do here on Sunday mornings. We, we call it worship. We worship God through singing. We worship God through talking to God in prayer. We worship God through opening up the Bible and hearing him speak to us from his word. We, we worship God 
by responding to God's will in faith and obedience. And we worship God outside the walls of our church because Romans chapter 12 says that we are to present our lives as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable act of worship. That if God died for me, I certainly ought to live for him. And everything we do is an act of worship if we do it to glorify him. So we're going to challenge you. Come and make it a habit of your life to be with God's people on a regular basis in worshiping God. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of that, but what we're going to do starting next Sunday is we're going to talk about how we do the mission of our church. And the first thing we'll talk about is this loving God component of our mission and how worship, both personal times of worship and congregational times of worship, are vital to us being who God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do. So on that first line of the logo, love God. Now, continuing in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, even though they did not ask Jesus what is the second greatest commandment, he told them anyway. He says, hey, while we're talking, <laughs> look at verse 39. Jesus continues, a second is like it, a second command. Here it is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you asked me about the greatest commandment. Here it is. Love the Lord your God sincerely. Love him supremely. But the second greatest commandment is this. Love your neighbor. So if you're writing on that little note sheet, you can just write the word, uh, words love others. And notice what Jesus says. He says... In verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says, love God and love others. This is the first and greatest commandment that you love God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in the first century when Jesus says this, they would have defined neighbor very narrowly. The Jewish people had taken this quote again. Jesus is not giving his opinion. He's not speculating. He's not saying, here's what I think. Here, in this command, he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. But by the time of Jesus' day, centuries later, the Jews had basically narrowed the definition of neighbor to a fellow Jew. Certainly not a Gentile. A Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. So neighbor is only your fellow Jew, and even then your neighbor is only a good, pious Jew. Certainly not tax collectors, Jewish people working for Rome. Certainly not sinners, those Jewish people who weren't keeping all the laws like we think you ought to keep. And if you didn't meet their criteria of do's and don'ts, they didn't feel an obligation to love you. I love my neighbor. My neighbor is the person who looks like me, who acts like me, who believes like me, who thinks like me, who worships like me, whose skin color is like mine. That's my neighbor. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and he blows that definition up. He defines neighbor as everyone, that your neighbor is anyone. Do you ever remember the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus gave? It's a good Jew who's on a trip and he's walking along the road and some robbers overtake him and they, they rob him and they beat him and leave him in the ditch to die. 
And a priest comes by and sees him, doesn't want to get involved, so he crosses the other side and keeps walking. A Levite, kind of like the associate pastor, he sees him, doesn't want to get involved, kisses the other side, keeps on walking. But in Jesus' story, a Samaritan, a Samaritan was, according to the Jewish people, a half-breed, half-Samaritan, half-Gentile. They had their own competing place of worship. The Jews said Jerusalem, the Samaritans said Mount Gerizim. They just detested the Samaritans. But in Jesus' story, it was the good Samaritan who went to the Jew and helped him, bandaged his wounds, put him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, gives him shelter, even says to the owner of the inn, I've got to leave, but when I come back, whatever else expense you incur, I will pay that too. What was Jesus teaching us in that parable? He was saying, your neighbor is anyone whose need you see, whose need you have the ability to meet. Your neighbor, as God defines your neighbor, is any person because that person is created in the image of God. It goes beyond race. It goes beyond creed. It goes beyond color. It goes beyond religion. It goes beyond language barriers. Our neighbor is another human being. And when Jesus says, here's the greatest commandment, love God with everything you've got. And the second is like it, love your neighbor. And on these two commandments hang the whole law. He's saying you don't get life and you don't get God unless you get, he's telling you, put him first and love other people sincerely. Because how do I know that you're loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? How do you know I'm loving God? God's invisible. Love can be kind of mystical, esoteric, intangible. How do we know? You know you're loving God by how you treat other people made in the image of God. John the Apostle would say in one of his letters, you're a hypocrite if you say you love God whom you've never seen, but you hate your brother that you see every day. You can't have it both ways. If you really love God, you're naturally going to love other people. And our job here at Fort Caroline Baptist Church is to help you love God first, but also to love others as Jesus loves us. And this loving others is absolutely vital because this world will often catch the first glimpse of God's love through the way God's people love. You know, God is an incarnational God that God became flesh When the Son of God, Jesus, became the Son of Man. And Jesus showed us the love of God. But Jesus is physically in heaven now. But we are still called his body, the body of Christ. And we are called and we're given the opportunity to incarnate, to flesh out the love of God by how we treat each other, by how we treat other people. By the way, that's why we encourage you not only to come to a worship service, the environment to experience the love of God and to express your love to God. We also encourage you to get involved in a life group because a life group is where you get to love others. Your life group, your small group, is a laboratory for love. 
Now, all the singles said, amen. That's what I wanted to hear. That's not what I'm talking about. That may happen. You may meet somebody and all that work out, and I do weddings all the time, so hallelujah. But what I mean by your life group becomes a laboratory of love is it's in a life group that you don't just love in theory. Now you get to love in practice, in word and in deed. Now there's a name and a face and a need and a family and an opportunity to express love for someone. And in a life group, we come together and we celebrate the highs of life and we grieve together in the lows of life. When someone is discouraged, we send them a note. When someone's missing, we pick up the phone and check on them. When somebody is sick, we visit them in the hospital. When somebody's searching the scriptures for the answers they need for the problems of their life, we come alongside of them and we work through the word of God together. When people need prayer, we pray for each other because it's in a life group that we can love others. And often people go to a life group because that's what they want. I want people to love me like that. I want people to miss me when I'm not here and care for me when I'm going through struggles and be happy for me when things are going good. And that's awesome. But it's a mutual relationship, remember? Not only do you need that from someone, someone needs that from you. They need you in their life. They need you to love them. And this church is too large for me to do all of that. And by the way, you'll search the scriptures in vain for it it to say that it's the pastor's job to do all that. It's not in here. Jesus ministered to thousands of people, but he only had 12 he poured his heart into. And even there he had three that he was closest to because he knew he could only do so much. But he could delegate and pour his life into a few who could then pour their lives into a few others and a few others. And it's a multiplying effect. And so we're going to encourage you, get involved in a life group. In fact, I love that Jesus says, on these two commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbors yourself, on these two commandments hang the whole law and prophets. Law and prophets was shorthand for Jesus describing the Old Testament. If anybody says we don't need the Old Testament, you need to understand we don't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And he's already quoted twice from the Old Testament. You wouldn't have known it if you didn't know your Old Testament. So you need to know your Old Testament. Are we obligated to keep the Ten Commandments in order to earn our salvation? No. The Jews couldn't do it. What makes us think we could ever do it? We're saved by grace through faith. But when Jesus says, on these two commandments hang the whole law, he's not dismissing all the other commandments. He's not saying, now you get to throw away your Old Testament. Don't even worry about reading it. I'm just going to tell you what it's about. No, what he's saying is, let me summarize it so that whenever you go back and start reading it, you'll understand what God's trying to say. I remember in school, I had to, in elementary school or high school, I can't recall now. might have been high school, maybe ninth grade. We had to read Beowulf. Anybody remember that? I had to write a book report. And I know this will shock you, but I procrastinated and uh, didn't, didn't get around to it when I should have. And then once I did start to read the book, I realized, oh, no, this is not as easy to read as I thought. This is hard to to understand. And so I'm panicking because my book report is due, and it was both written and oral. And I was telling my sister that, and she says, oh, I've already had that class. Have you not ever read the Cliff Notes? What's that? She goes to her room, and she comes back with this little yellow book called Cliff Notes for Beowulf. And she said, oh, it's a summary of, of this, and, and, and it'll help you write your book report. So I, I read that and wrote my book report on that. And just so all the kids here know something, 
My teacher immediately knew I had not read Beowulf but had used Cliff Notes. She immediately knew it. She could tell I didn't know what I was talking about. And I look back on what Jesus is saying, and I think it's his way of saying, these two commandments are the Cliff Notes. Now, you still need to read the rest. But now when you read the rest, you get what God is saying through the laws of God, through the prophets. God is saying, love me and love others. Can you imagine, friend, how our world would be different if we took God seriously at wanting to put him first and treat other people the way we want to be treated, which is what love your neighbor means? It means, Mark 7, 12, you do unto others as you'd have them do to you. So, so could you imagine the difference that would make in our world if we truly loved God and we loved others? It'd change our relationships. It'd change our church. It'd change your school. It'd change our culture and our community. So on that second line, you've written, love others. But we're not finished. Now we're going to take our Bibles and turn to the last chapter of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. He is physically alive from the dead. He has been appearing to his disciples and over 500 people over a period of 40 days. That's why the Christian faith is based on eyewitness testimony. Many of them who died willingly telling people, I've seen Jesus. He's alive from the dead. I know he died on the cross. We buried him, but he's back. And they wouldn't shut up about it. And many of them died as martyrs with the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus on their lips. And one of those appearances of Jesus to his disciples is in this last chapter. He had just said, all power and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now look at verse 19. Go therefore... In other words, based on my power, my authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, talking about those disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. We often call Matthew 22 verses 37 through 40, the great commandments. This is called the great commission where the resurrected, victorious Jesus, before he goes back to heaven, gives his followers their marching orders, their mandate, their mission in this world, and that is to go and make disciples of all the nations. A disciple is simply a person who has chosen to follow Jesus and learn from him who's being transformed by him, and who's joining him on his mission in the world. That's what a disciple is, a person who has chosen to follow Jesus. You're my Lord. You're my teacher. You're my Savior. I choose to follow you and dedicate my life to you. And I want to learn from you so that you can transform me from the inside out, change my attitude, change my beliefs, change my behavior. And Jesus, I want to join you in your mission of going to the world and telling people about you, that you're the Son of God who died for the sins of the world, who rose from the dead, and who's coming again one day, and who will save from their sin all who believe in you. I want to join you in that mission. And so Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations, all the people groups, all the ethnicities, all the nations, all the languages. There's not a group of people to whom we are not to go and tell the gospel. No one's off limits. 
The world is so loved by God that he sent his son. And the son so loved the world, he sent us to go and to make disciples. And how do we make disciples? You don't force people. You don't manipulate and coerce people. You share the love of Jesus and call them to turn and to trust him. Turn from your sin. Trust him. And only the Holy Spirit of God can do the rest. And once a person becomes a follower of Jesus, they get baptized as an expression of their faith in the one who was crucified, who was buried, and who rose from the dead. But our job isn't done there. Then we're to help them learn everything that Jesus taught so that he can change their lives and direct their paths. And Jesus even says, and listen, I'm with you always. I love that. Jesus says, I'm with you. Here's a little trivia for you. In Matthew's first chapter, he introduces us to Jesus, Emmanuel, who is God with us. And in his last chapter, he gives us the promise of Jesus, I'm always with you. Even if you don't see me, even if I'm physically not here, I am always with you. Aren't you grateful that God is with us? And so we as a church not only exist to love God, love others, but here's that third line. Let's write in, serve the world. We're here to serve the world. And we serve the world by doing good. Our Savior went about doing good. And we go about seeking to do good. That's why we have ministries that feed the hungry and that clothe the naked and that shelter and love orphans and that care for widows in their time of distress. It's why we rescue women from human trafficking. It's why we feed Hundreds of students every Friday at Mayport Elementary School so they go home with backpacks of blessing to have meals over the weekend. It is why this church for years supports the Fellowship of Christian Athletes with a meal every month that we pay for. And I think out of the last few years, our student pastor has missed maybe three times. He's always there loving those students, being a friend to those students, eating pizza that we pay for, that you pay for with those students so that there could be a Christian witness at Sandalwood High School. And I could go on and on and on and talk about the good things that you guys do in this community and around the world because we want to serve the world. But listen to me, friend. We don't just do good to do good. We back up our good deeds with good words where we talk about Jesus. A lot of organizations can do good deeds, but only the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has the unique DNA where we've got the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and we've been sent out into the world to say, let me tell you about our good God who loves you. Let me tell you about Jesus who died for you and who wants to bring you into the family of God. And if we don't share the gospel, we are not being the Christians and we're not being the church that God's called us to be. So if the environment to love God is our worship time and the environment for love others is our life group, what is the environment for serving the world? It is the missions opportunities and the ministries of our church that we ask you to volunteer, to be a part of, so that we can be known as the church that helps people reach higher. That when they're down and out, when they're struggling, when they're hurting, when they're looking for hope, when they're looking for answers, when they need a friend, when they need some counsel, there is a church here that will help them in practical ways. But we do it 
all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, so that we can share with them, he loves you. And let me tell you how he proved it. And then we get to share the gospel. Friend, that's our mission. This is really just a napkin talk. Anybody ever says, what's the mission of Fort Caroline Baptist Church? Just take a napkin, draw our logo with those three lines and say, here's what it is. Based on the great commandments of Jesus to love God and love others. And based on the great commission to serve the world, we do everything we do. There's a lot we could do. There's a lot we choose not to do so that we can stay focused as a church on doing these three things as a family, as a body, as a local congregation. Many of you, this is not new to you. You understand why we're here. And I can't thank you enough for the way you have bought in, for the way that you've partnered, for the way that you invest in what we do here through your time and your money and your energy and your presence here with us. Others of you... Maybe you're doing one of those. You're coming to a worship service, but you're not in a life group. Dear friend, get in a life group, the laboratory of love. Maybe that's going to be our new slogan. That's going to be our new slogan. Are you in the laboratory of love? So maybe, maybe we won't call it that. But, but you need to be in a life group. And maybe you're already in a worship service in your life group, but you're not serving somewhere. Well, I'm going to challenge you. Let us help you do all three And you help us together as a body of believers do all three for this community. That's what my challenge is for you. For some of you, maybe you're thinking about joining our church. Now you know a little bit more about why we do what we do and what we believe our mission is. And now you understand that logo, what that thing means. And so now you can understand whether or not God wants you here. There are a lot of good churches in Jacksonville. It's not a matter of finding a good church. It's the one God wants you to invest your life in. And we would be thrilled if he says... Fort Caroline's the place for you. But maybe today you've never received Jesus as your Savior, your friend. Today could be the day for you to stop putting it off what you already know, that you need God in your life, that you need to receive Jesus who died for you on the cross and welcome him into your life and accept his free gift of forgiveness. But maybe you've not known how. Well, today I'm going to close in a prayer, and part of that prayer is going to be to help you put some words that you can pray to God. You don't have to say them out loud. You can just pray them in your heart. God will hear you. But today, if you want to receive Jesus, let us help you do that. And if you make this prayer and you really mean it in your heart, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So welcome to the family of God. But don't be ashamed that you've prayed that prayer. Come and talk to me or one of our guest services at the back door at the what is your next step area. And just let us know that today you made that decision. We'll rejoice with you. We're not going to embarrass you or put you on the spot. We just want to rejoice with you. But also, we want to be available to help you take your next step if you want to know more about living for Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time this morning. Thank you for this reminder of the mission you've called us to. That yes, we want to help people reach higher, but God, we do it by loving you, loving others, and serving the world. This church exists to help people love God, love others, and serve the world. And it's all because of Jesus. His example Because, God, as I look at this, none of us have ever done this or ever will do this perfectly. Not this side of heaven. But Jesus perfectly lived a life that showed his love for you, his heavenly Father. Showed his love for others. And he served the world through his own death, burial, and resurrection. And God, we know that we can't live a perfect life, but we pray today, Jesus, you said you will always be with us. Thank you for that. 
So Jesus, would you live your life through us? Would you live your life through us? Jesus, be Jesus through us and help us to love God, love others, and serve the world. God, if there's someone in this room today who needs to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that right now they would say to you, Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner, but I know you love me anyway. I don't deserve your love, but I thank you for it. You demonstrated your love for me when you sent Jesus to die for me on the cross, taking the punishment I deserved for sin. He died, but he also rose from the dead alive. And today I trust in him as my Lord and my Savior, seeking the forgiveness of my sin. And now, having received your gift of eternal life, let me learn more about Jesus. Let me be changed from the inside out by Jesus as I learn more about him through his word, as I get involved with his people. And let me join Jesus in the mission of telling this world that no matter who you are or what you've done, he loves you. In Jesus' name we all pray and everyone said, amen.